Times are intensifying. Just when I thought that maybe we would slow down a little bit, they seem to, we seem to have gone up a gear. And uh, Amanda and I are both experiencing new levels of God dealing with uh, our own hearts and our own lives and bringing greater freedom. And there's going to be a greater emphasis to that. And uh, I'll just tell you something that has been made very real to me lately. And it kind of ties in with that other issue of the Lord starting to color outside the lines, not always inside the lines for us. Um, But you know, in America, I've noticed that when we go to other developing nations, uh, the devil doesn't hide himself very much. He's right out in the open. You know, uh, demon possession is accepted by everybody because it's obvious in the culture. Uh, you see demon-possessed people, you know, uh, like the demoniac in, in, uh, in the Gospels that have stripped all their clothes off and are running around naked, uh, for example, and just doing just stuff that civilized people would not engage in. And here in our culture, we've got places for those kinds of people. We, don't, we want them out of sight somewhere so we're not reminded of the issues that are among us, and then we drug them so that we can pacify them and deny that those conditions actually exist at that level. And, and so the enemy has learned that in our civilized, educated, uh, sanitized culture, he wears camo, he hides himself. But you know what? It's becoming more and more evident that it's in plain sight. It's right under our noses. but uh, So what the Lord's been made very real to me, and I, I was talking to Steve about this uh, the last couple of weeks, and it's, just, it's really intensifying, so I know that these are, these are things that we're going to have to start dealing with, is that we're going to start seeing deliverance manifested openly the way that we, the way that we read about it happening in the book of Acts. And, and we're going to have to learn to deal with it. Uh, we're going to... Ha- Deal with it in the sense of accept it. I'm not talking about people needing to go and control something that God is doing. In fact, I would encourage you not to, unless the Holy Spirit instructs you, leave your hands off and let God do what he's doing. Uh, you know, we can't, uh, we, we can't uh, control what the Holy Spirit sovereignly wants to do. We need to, we, sometimes we just need to let our hands off, leave our hands off and let God do what he's really good at doing. Uh, but what I mean by this is this, and this is what he was ministering to me this morning. There's such a shame that's attached to going through something like a deliverance in front of other people in our culture. Uh, and we need to get over that. We need to deal with that. We need to get over it. And our desire for freedom needs to be greater than our need to be respected by everybody and well thought of. You know, if you really are desperate for freedom, you know, you're willing to pay the price, whatever that, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is amazing, he's awesome, how he, how he ministers things, but if you really want freedom, you're, you're going to be willing to allow that thing to surface, even if uh, it, it makes you look a certain way in front of other people, okay? And so we need to deal with, with the shame of that, and we need to deal with the fear of that. And, and say, Lord, you know, whatever the cost, I want to be free. I don't want to be controlled by anything else. 
I don't want to have things in my life that I don't control, because when I don't control them, guess what? Something else does. If you want to know if you need further deliverance, just ask yourself, are there things in my life that I don't control? Impulses, urges, reactions, whatever, that are beyond my control, because if they're beyond my control, something else is controlling them, I need to be set free in that area. And uh, so just uh, let's, let's be willing to pay that price. And I'll say this, there's no shame in being delivered of a demon. The shame is in hanging on to it when you could be delivered. Amen? I'll take my hat off to anybody that's courageous enough to say, you know what, I need, I need deliverance in this area. Father, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get free. If I need to look like a fool, hey, I'm willing to be a fool for Jesus. I want to be free. Amen? And I don't, and I don't think the Lord goes around making a practice out of humiliating people. But sometimes we need to get over our own pride uh, in, if we really want to be free and admit that we have a need and Lord we need you to set us free that was, that was the appetizer um, so we've gone through a time of, of having our foundation strengthened um, we've had an opportunity to sort out our values uh, to connect with our faith our courage our family, there's been a, a powerful family connection that's been taking place in the body. Uh, believers are hungry to find family, and we're so excited to see uh, body, the body beginning to form and really connect and enjoying getting together and, and fellowshipping with one another and connecting with one another and finding where we fit in. And we're finding that our priorities have shifted. How many of you have had your priorities shifted in the past year? Some of us have found that we believe things that we're willing to pay a price for. Amen? Uh, you know, a couple years ago, if you'd asked me if I'd, I'm willing to pay a price for certain things that I believe, I'm like, eh, I think so. In some of those areas, there's no question today. Yeah, I'll lay it down my life for that. I'm willing to pay a price for what I believe. Some of us are getting ready to move into areas of greater leadership, responsibility in the next season. Uh, because uh, God's found you faithful in the, in, the, in the past season. And so where the Lord finds you faithful, he begins to promote you. Begins to elevate you, begins to use you, begins, begins to give you a greater anointing to carry because he's found you faithful with what he's given you. And it's important that we engage where we're called, where we're anointed, where we have grace, uh, and not try to be like somebody else or carry what some, you see somebody, what you admire somebody else carrying, uh, but that you carry what God's called you to carry. And uh, speaking of Dr. Seuss, he's been kind of a hot topic lately. He kind of said that no one can be youer than you. And that's bringing it down to really simple terms. It's a powerful truth. The best you that you can possibly be is the authentic you that God created that's not like anybody else, 
There's gifts that he's given you that there are general categories for. There's, there's skills that he's given you that are, there's general categories for. But there's a unique personality that he created with you. There's a unique, unique set of life experiences that you've had that nobody else has had in exactly the same way. And so you get to manifest that in a unique way that expresses who you are. It's not, and, and if you just try to be a carbon copy of other people, you're going to fail miserably at being powerful. Because the most powerful you that you can possibly be is who God created you to be. So don't try to fit into somebody else's mold. Don't try, you know, there's, there's a value for authenticity that goes throughout the kingdom. Be who God created you to be. Get rid of the masks. I wasn't talking about that one, but if, if the shoe fits, take it off, right? Um, get rid of the masks that we like to operate behind to make people believe that we can, we're like other people that we admire, whatever. You know, when we're kids, we grow up and we emulate, you know, whoever our favorite movie star or musician or whatever. Uh, you can never be who they are. But you can be a very powerful person, being you fully alive. Be willing to discover what makes you fully alive. How the gifts that God has given you can animate you to be a very powerful person unlike anyone else. I really wouldn't, couldn't do a very good job at being someone else. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. I mean, I tried it for a couple of minutes a couple of times in my life, and it just, I'm not good at, at wearing a mask. I'm not good at putting on an act. I'm just not. I, I've had a value for authenticity that goes back before my conversion. I didn't know why I felt the way that I did, but when I was born again, I began to understand God made me me, and he gave me permission. The Lord said, I am who I am. And so if the Lord has permission to be who he is, he's given me permission to be who I am because he created me in his image and likeness, right? And he's made you the same way. He made you who you are. You are the best and the only you that you can ever be. And so let God bring you fully alive where you are, who you are. Discover who you are. Um, but if you don't find where you're called, where you're anointed, where you have grace, otherwise you'll just be busy. And, and when you get to my stage of life, you know, I'm almost halfway through my life now. You know, if I, if I, if I live to the age that Moses, Moses kind of set the bar, I think, then I'm about halfway there. And... Uh, and so if I'm going to live to, you know, I, I don't, I've got, uh, I, I don't have time to waste trying to be someone I'm not. I'm going to be the best me that I know how to be. And that's not going to please everybody. But you know the old saying, you can please some of the people all the time. All the people some of the time. But you can't please all the people all the time. So you might as well not try. So, so be who you are, live your life authentically so that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, 
you can go to sleep um, knowing that you didn't fake it through the day. You were who you really are. Amen? And if you are your authentic self, living your life fully for God the best way you know how, you're going to hit the mark. Probably won't do it tomorrow or next week, but you're going to hit the mark if you get on that path and you keep living out of those values. So I want to read some scripture out of 2 Timothy 2. Uh, Just felt the Lord, I don't have any notes. I just felt the Lord wanted me to kind of go through a preparation for the the time that we're, the season that we're heading into, and to uh, kind of challenge us all. Uh, first of all, to decide, do we want to be on the front lines or the sidelines in a move of God? One, one, of, the, one of the things that would grieve my heart more than almost anything else would be to know there's a move of God going on among my people, and I'm on the sidelines watching it. Because that's what I've built my life around, is that expectation of a move of God coming and me being in the front lines, not on the sidelines. The Lord wants us all on the field in the coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's a place for every one of you. You might say, well, I'm not called to be a front-lines evangelist. Well, maybe you're not. Be who you are. But there's a role for you on the team that will make you powerful, that will make you amazing. Maybe it's, maybe it's a place of high visibility. Maybe it's not. But there's a place just for you, and the whole team will be better if you find that place and take that place. You therefore, my son, be, uh, and this is Paul the Apostle speaking to a spiritual son, Timothy. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And there you have four generations of mentoring and discipleship. You have Paul, you have Timothy, you have him teaching people who will also be able to teach others. Uh, You're not called to minister to everybody and to disciple everybody. You're not going to be successful if you try to disciple everybody in the world. You haven't been called to that. But there are some that you're called to do it with. There are some people that God's brought into your life that you have an opportunity to disciple. And, And... Here's a, here's a value that I really try to live my life out of, and it's, it's become kind of just something I do. When I encounter somebody, it doesn't really matter what stage they're in in their spiritual development or growth or even uh, development and other. If I see the treasure in them, they might not see it. Their family might not see it. Nobody else in their life might see it. But if I see the treasure that's in them, and everyone's got treasure in them, no matter how deeply it's buried. If I see it, God gives me grace to go after it. Okay? 
And I think if we all lived out of that value, if you encounter somebody, you start witnessing to somebody, you start ministering, God puts you into somebody's life and has you encourage them, pour into them, bless them, help them through hard places. If God shows you the treasure in their life, he'll give you the grace to go after the treasure. Dig it out. It may be covered with dirt. It may be surrounded by all kinds of rocks of offense and bitterness. It may, the whole field may be covered with weeds of just a lot of unhealthy stuff. But that's what the shape we were in, and Jesus bought the whole field because he saw the treasure. And he's been going after the treasure in us ever since. And that's what he's looking for, is people who will shepherd people the way that he does, who look for the treasure the way that he looked for it and found it in us. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I think I told most of you probably heard me say this, that I'd like to take a team to Peru sometime of people who said they would never do something like that. I think it would be amazing. I think it would be an adventure. I think maybe I would have the greatest adventure of all. But, but you would find out that there's things inside of you that you didn't realize. And, and you would start coming alive in ways that you never thought you would. And you would get in touch with things. Whether you're called to the mission field or not, it would have you starting to get out of a box, that you've that safe little box that you've lived your life in. Because... In order to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to endure hardship. That, that, what, what does that mean? Well, that might mean getting out of air conditioning. You know, getting out of a safe place where you know that you're taking risks. You know, you know we spell faith, R-I-S-K. It's really hard to become strong in faith if you're not willing to take a risk. Well, what if, I, what if I take a risk and I fail? Oh, you've grown, even if you failed. I'm not saying mortgage your whole family's future in order to take a risk. That's not what I'm saying. You don't begin there. You begin by taking, pushing out of your comfort zone and taking some risks and finding wisdom and discernment in the mistakes that you make and the failures and, and the wins that you, and you, that you get so that you're, you make fewer and fewer big mistakes as you move forward. You've got to start somewhere. And the only place really that you can start from is where you're at. So what may be taking a risk for me might seem so outrageous to you, you can't start there. You know, maybe a risk, taking a risk for you is talking to your neighbor. I've really been praying for this person. I, I know they really need Jesus. Well, maybe the Lord wants you to start by talking to them. Reaching out to them, saying, Jesus, would you use me today to touch my neighbor? Maybe that's a risk for you. Whatever the risk is, we need to be willing to step out of our comfortable place because you're not going to grow into your potential staying in your comfortable box. You're just not. And I applaud you for stepping out of your comfort zone, even if to some people it may be considered a small step, but to you it may be a big step, and God will applaud you.
It's not where you're at, it's where you're going and, and whether you're willing to take a risk, step out in faith. Then he says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And I talked about how our priorities have shifted. Some of us, you know, the things that were so important to us a couple years ago just aren't that important anymore. And there are other things that are more important. That's what he's talking about here, that we get disentangled from the affairs of this life and the, and, the, and, the, and the concerns and the burdens of life that have tended to overwhelm us and just swallow us up and keep us so occupied in busyness and, and, and stuff that we really haven't had a time to pursue things that are God's vision for our life and things that really help us grow and to mature. And there's things that... that that some of us were engaged in a couple years ago that just don't interest us anymore. I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. For me, I, I, don't, I wouldn't really care if the TV was ever turned on at my house again. It just doesn't interest me. There's, outside of uh, watching the Lord of the Rings movie, well, again, once in a while, there's not a whole lot that I'm interested in watching. In case you think I'm joking, I'm not. <laughs> it, it just brings, it's kind of like watching Braveheart. It brings the warrior alive in me, stirs, stirs me up, makes me want to go rumble with the enemy. You know, that's. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So there's rules of engagement, and, uh, and we, we've got to learn what the rules of engagement are. Paul said, I don't just swing wildly and beat the air. He said, I, I, uh, when I swing my sword, I do it strategically. And so whatever God's called you to, there are rules of engagement, so that you, you need to learn what those are so that you don't disqualify yourself in the process. Amen? Then it says, the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. I could quote that in German if you want me to, because I heard it from the Amish preacher. The Ackermann Muslim Ashta de Frichte Is that right? <laughs> heard that all my life growing up. Uh, in other words, you can't really help anybody else if you don't stay fed yourself. So the farmer that raises the crops has the first dibs on the crop to feed himself and his family so that he can stay strong and equipped to continue to bring in the crop for others. Does that make sense? And so your first responsibility as a servant of God, as a child of God, is to feed yourself, keep yourself healthy, uh, stay in the Word, stay in fellowship, stay in prayer, uh, you know, and, and keep yourself in a healthy place because you can't help others. It's just like when you're, when you're flying on a plane. You know, they talk about those masks coming down and say, don't even bother trying to put one on someone else until you put one on yourself. Because you can't help others if you can't get oxygen yourself. And so that's really what he's saying is, is that you have to take care, keep yourself in good spiritual condition first so that you have something of an overflow to give to others. I, I really don't like to go to people that have to, kind of squeeze something out of themselves because there's no overflow in, them, in their life. I, I would much rather drink from somebody's overflow because they're staying in a healthy 
place in their relationship with God where there's an overflow. You're hearing what I'm saying. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Then he said, remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, who was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. He said, they can chain me up, but they can't chain the word of God. So whatever they do, throw me in chains or whatever, the word of God continues to get out. And you look at some of the, the great giants of faith. I think about Watchman Nee, the great Chinese apostle back in the 30s and 40s who was put in prison because the communists don't like the gospel. And uh, so he started witnessing and leading fellow inmates and, and, and even some uh, prison guards and stuff to the Lord. And... Uh, and so they kept on, uh, I think the first thing they did was to isolate him from other prisoners. And then, uh, if I remember right, uh, he kept witnessing and, and to the guards and stuff. And so finally they cut his tongue out to try to shut him up. Because the word of God can't be chained. And he died in prison in, what, 63 or something like that, somewhere in the maybe 67 uh, gave his life for the gospel, but he wouldn't shut up. No matter what you do to me, the word of God is in me and it's going to get out. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. So if you give your life for the gospel, guess what? You're going to be resurrected in glory with him. But it means more than that. It means that if you've surrendered your life to the death of the cross, that you get to live in resurrection power. If you died with him, you will also live with him. Whenever we, whenever we baptize somebody, uh, they are identifying in the death and the burial of Christ and resurrected and resurrection in, into his resurrection life. So whenever we die with him, we get to live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, now you would expect if that pattern continues, it would say, well, he's going to be unfaithful to us too. And said, so, no, he can't. If we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Scripture says in Revelation, his name is faithful and true. It's his very identity. Even if you're unfaithful to him, he stays faithful because he can't deny who he is. That's who he is. What an amazing God we serve. I was... Uh, reading a testimony a while ago of a lady who went to a meeting. She had a, she had a deep shame in her life. And uh, she kind of went to this meeting because she knew the preacher was a prophetic brother. She was afraid, always getting coming around prophetic people, that they would expose the thing that she was really ashamed of. And uh, so she's tried to kind of hide in the crowd, you know. And this brother picked her up, 
asked her to stand. And he said, uh, the Lord told me to tell you that there's a horrible sin in your past that you're very ashamed of. She's trembling because now she's exposed in front of everybody. He said, I asked the Lord what it was. And he said, I forgot. Some of you have got some really horrible stuff in your past. But you need to know that if you brought it to Jesus, he forgot about it. And you're free. And sometimes the person that's hardest to forget about it is us. We've got to let go of what God's let go of. Reminding, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the Lord wants to, wants to help us with understanding. And some of you are actually experiencing the word of God coming alive to you in new ways. I just want to applaud you. Uh, in, in the natural, when you go to the table, the more you eat, the fuller that you get and the less hungry you are, right? Well, in the spiritual, it works exactly the opposite. The more you feed yourself, the hungrier you get. If you wait until you're hungry to start feeding, you're probably going to starve to death, spiritually. But start reading and, and praying, ask the Holy Spirit to open up the Word of God to you, and the more He opens it up to you and begins to feed you and, and it begins to reveal life to you and truth to you and sustenance to you, the hungrier you get until you, you'll find that your revelation and your uh, experience in the Word of God is beyond anything that you ever thought you could... Uh, you could experience. And the Word of God was the thing that transformed my life. I just want to tell you. Um, when Jesus came into my life, you know, I was a drug addict. And, uh, and he instantly delivered me. There was no withdrawals. Uh, I'm not saying that's everyone's experience. Everyone has their own journey, their own experience. That's what I experienced. I was in a deep, dark dungeon when Jesus came and unlocked the, the cell and, and released me and set me free. And the contrast between the darkness that I was in and the light that it, he brought me into was so profound. I had a very profound experience. My wife said, well, I didn't have that kind of experience. And I said, well, you weren't in the dungeon that I was. You know, the contrast between the darkness where I was and the light that, that Jesus brought me to was so profound that everybody noticed and, uh, and when I opened the Bible, the, the words came off the pages and began to feed me and began to wash me and began to nurture me. And, and I was famished for the Word of God. It just came alive. And, and, and uh, I, I spent day and night, whenever I wasn't sleeping, working, or eating, I was in the Word of God, just consuming. And that lasted for several years where I, I just didn't want to give a whole lot of attention to anything else. I was just feeding on the Word. And during that process is when the Lord restored my mind that I had destroyed through drug abuse. It was the Word of God that began to renew my mind and brought me to a place where it demanded a miracle to restore my brain that I had destroyed through the drugs. 
And so it's the Word of God that has the ability to bring your life back into alignment. And, and, and so when he talks about rightly dividing the Word of truth, the picture is like of a knife that cuts cleanly and straight. Because there's a, there's a dissemination of the Word of God. Because a carnal mind can go into the Word of God and make it say about anything that you want it to say. And you can use that word to mutilate people rather than to set them free. And so we need to rightly be able to rightly divide the word of truth rather than just throw it around uh, to uh, say what we want it to say. And in this, uh, and I must say, in every move of God, there are extremes. Every wave of restoration in the church for the last 500 years, there's been extremes of people who get a hold of a revelation and they'll take it right into the ditch. And they'll build a, a sect or a cult out of it uh, they'll take one part of the truth and they'll, and they'll uh, apply it without the other part. But the, the Word of God needs to be rightly divided. This is true, and on the other hand, this is also true. And we need to hold those two seemingly contradictory points of view, hold them in tension, because between the two of them, they provide something close to balance that we can all embrace, and it doesn't bring division to the body of Christ because we decided we're going to take this position and the other part of the body says, oh, no, we're going to take this position. And we take the word of God that was, that was designed to unite us and it actually use it to divide the body of Christ that Jesus died for. And that's a, that's a shame. Because we are one body, we're one bride, and Jesus isn't coming back for a harem. He's coming back for one glorious bride. Uh, someone said they were, told me they were asked uh, who we are what we're a part of and where we come from. And I said, well, tell them I was raised Amish. I was ordained as a Baptist. And we're not a part of any denomination. We're an interdenominational church. And we're here because God put us here. He told us where to come and when to start. And we did it in obedience to him. And, and so we're not a part of anyone else's denomination. But we're a part of something amazing that God's doing. So, I'm not sure what you want to call us. We're believers. Amen? But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the re resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And there you have two contrary positions that the church has divided over. Right? Well, we're... we're uh, we call ourselves Calvinists, and we believe that we're once saved, we're always saved, we're eternally secure, and we know that we're going to heaven when we die, no matter what we do, and so we can live any way that we want to, and it doesn't really matter, because grace covers it all because we're saved. Okay? And that's kind of the extreme on one side. And then on the other side, well, you know, I believe that I take the, what they call the Arminian view, and that view says that every time I have a bad thought, 
I've lost my salvation if I don't confess it and repent. Before Jesus comes back, I'm lost and I'm going to hell, even though I was saved. And so those are kind of the two extremes that, that people bring out of Scripture. They're both true. Each, each is half a truth. And this verse kind of sums it up and says this is the seal of a solid foundation. It's like a big deal that you understand that both of these are true at the same time. The Lord knows those that are his. If you are his, if you're a born-again child of God, you're in the securest place that you can ever be. He's already forgiven you. He's already adopted you into his family. You are his. You belong to him. And there's nothing that can pluck you out of his hand. And at the same time, you have a responsibility as a child of God to clean your life up, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to, to depart from iniquity, to, to leave unhealthy patterns behind, to find deliverance, to find healing, to find wholeness. Both of those are true at the same time. And if you only embrace one or the other, you have half a gospel. You understand? So... So it it's comes in rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you believe the Arminian view? Yeah, sure. Do you believe the Calvinist view? Yeah, sure. But I, I don't believe them to the exclusion of all other truth. Because it's all true. And we could take most of the denominations, and if we really did a little research to find out what they believe, we'd find out, yeah, they have a truth. And if it, was, if it was brought together with all the other truths that people believe, we'd have more of a united body and we'd have a much greater balance in what we believe. Does that make sense? And so it's really time for the body of Christ to begin to see that there's treasure, not only in individuals, there's treasures in other parts of the body who have, who have emphasized things that we haven't emphasized in the same way. And if we'd all come together, it'd be amazing. Is it going to happen? Yeah, I think it's going to happen because I think Jesus' prayer is going to get answered. He said that they all may be one as we are one. And I, for one, want to work together for the prayer of Jesus to be answered. Amen? I'm just having so much fun and we're just getting started. It's 12 o'clock. Oh, I I got to do this one yet. Um, in a great house, there are, only, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So in the Father's house, Father's house is a great house. There's vessels of honor and there's vessels of dishonor. What do you mean? Well, there's, there's fine china. There's things that are made of gold and silver that are used to eat off of and to serve the master's table. There's also vessels. You wouldn't really use gold and silver for this to wash the feet. Chamber pots. You know, if you know what those are. They serve dishonorable purposes, but they serve a purpose. And what he's saying is, he's using an analogy here, and he's saying, we're all going to be used one way or another. 
It's up to us how honorable our use is going to be. You can either be devoted to the gospel and, and allow the Lord to do a sanctifying, ongoing process in your life, and you can be uh, a vessel made of gold or silver, or you can oppose those who are being used of God, work against them. God will use you to persecute them and, and purify them. He'll use you to do it, but you're still going to end up serving his purpose one way or the other. If you work against, because all those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the persecution serves a purpose. It helps me to be willing to pay the price that God's called me to, to pay in order to serve him. So there's a purpose in those who are hostile to the gospel. Ultimately, they all serve God's purpose. We get to choose whether we, get, whether we serve him honorably or dishonorably. I would rather be, served, be used honorably. I really don't like the idea of being a chamber pot. Or even a basin to wash somebody's feet with. Those things stink sometimes. I'm willing to wash people's feet. Don't hear me wrong. But if I'm going to be in this analogy, I would rather be a fine vessel that serves the master's table. Amen?